In China, if you call somebody up, this and the person needs to pick up the phone. That's embarrassing. You're losing your face. Imagine this, you're sitting in the office, you pick up the phone. In the West, that's completely normal. You go and you talk. But in China, everybody's going to hear what you're talking about. That's embarrassing. Stand by. I'll be right there. Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 338. Today is Sunday, the 28th of July, 2019. And this interview is with Ashley Galina Dudarnok. Ashley is a China marketing expert, founder of two companies, Alaris, a social media agency based in Hong Kong, and Chozan for training keynotes and masterclasses on marketing in China. Ashley is also an influencer and a best-selling author who has just published her third book, New Retail, Born in China, Going Global, How Chinese Tech Giants Are Changing Global Commerce. In this conversation with Ashley, we talk about some of the important things to get right when marketing in China, some insights into Ashley's life as an influencer, and the truly revolutionary world of retail in China that has been termed as New Retail. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss branding and all things digital. I am Minter Dial, your host, and you'll find the show notes on my eponymous site, MinterDial.com. Enjoy the show. Ashley Galina Dudaranok, it's a wonderful pleasure to have you on the show. You are a bundle of energy. Um, love to dance every morning. Uh, you also are extremely influential in Asia, not, probably the world, about Asia. You're the author of two published books, and you got a third coming out. So this is how I know about you, Ashley. Tell me in your own words <laughs> how you describe yourself. Minta, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be on the show. Um, to describe who I am, um, I like to say that I'm a an entrepreneur, I think business is fun. Um, I am a vlogger, so I love recording videos and publishing them online. I love sharing my knowledge about China. So some people call me the China marketing expert. And expert, very importantly, here means only that I know that I don't know more than I know. <laughs> and I keep learning all the time. And um, yes, I, uh, I do publish books, so I guess an author and uh, and the podcaster as well would be fitting. Splendid. So you are based in Hong Kong. You have a Russian background, and uh, and you have two agencies you run, Alaris and Chozan. Tell us about those. Yes. So one is a social media agency, and we focus on China. So all of my businesses are basically focused on this very unique Galapagos islands of the world in terms of digital ecosystems, so, which is China. Um, and the second one is a training company. So we essentially train agencies, we train in-house marketing teams, and we also train top management of big corporations on how to actually understand what's happening in China right now, how to understand the modern Chinese consumers, how to understand Chinese social media and digital landscape, and how to act on the new retail, this revolution that started in China about two years ago and is going to impact the world in the coming years. And that is, of course, the subject of your new book, 
Yes. <laughs> so yes, it is. I want to, we'll get into that in a moment. Uh, but one of the things that impresses me about you, Ashley, is that you walk the talk. There's so often like consultants or agencies who are, as we say in French, le cordonnier mal chaussé, the the cobbler <laughs> with with bad shoes. And and you, on the other hand, are living it, where you are present, you produce, you produce for yourself, and 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 I, I have to believe that that gives you a monumental step up. You may not be a Chinese person, but you obviously get into the the nitty gritties of how to get a video, not just to be made, but to be distributed. Absolutely, absolutely. So in terms of China link, what gives me most credibility is not obviously I'm a blonde person sitting here and saying that she knows China, but what gives me a little bit of credit here is that I moved to China in 2005, 2006. And that was exactly the time where China started undergoing this huge digital transformation. So it's not only the fact that I speak, read, write Mandarin Chinese, I lived in mainland China or greater China for the past 14 years, but also the fact that I witnessed it firsthand. And of course, my whole team is mainland Chinese. So they are sort of, uh, I'm sort of uh, shining in their glory of understanding the market right now, because they deliver and digest a lot of information for me uh, right now. Uh, but in terms of creating content, um, I believe that if you run a social media agency, if you're working with consumers, you really need to get your hands dirty. And you really need to do that. If you're not doing that, you're very quickly, especially right now in 2019, you're going to get disconnected from it because it changes so fast. And secondly, as an entrepreneur, I also believe that you have an obligation, a moral obligation, or or even an, it's a necessity to communicate and to do thought leadership. Because if you're not, believe me, in three years, you're going to regret it. Right now, our digital algorithms are built the way that if you're not producing content, you are basically going to be non-searchable very, very soon. Right now, Google ranks voice. So your podcast, your videos are going to be ranked very quickly in the search as well. So are you producing video content? Are you publishing it on a multitude of platforms? Very soon, it's somehow going to be linked and interacted like in China. In China, digital landscape is years ahead of what's happening in the West. So seeing what's happening in China, you get nervous about not being communicating and doing your thought leadership uh, in the West because you see this is this is like the Wild West right now. You can basically do it if you commit to it, if you do it regularly with passion. And on the last level, I also believe, as I said, it is a responsibility. If you have this wealth of knowledge that comes to you, there's your responsibility to digest it and give it back to people because somebody out there is trying to get to where you are right now. Somebody out there will maybe hear a similar thought uh, than a hundred other people are sharing, but he or she will connect with your message. So it is also your responsibility to take it, digest it and give it back. Then you are in this constant flow of energy. So that's a bit esoterical, but hey, (laughs) <laughs> no, it's not esoteric at all. Um, it makes me think, listening to you, Ashley, um, we could come up with a new acronym, FOBMO. What does FOBMO <laughs> mean? It means fear of being missed out, which suggests yeah. that things, you know, we have the obviously the FOMO of everything, you know, it's yeah. digital. But in this case, if you aren't 
in the game, you'll be quickly shunted out and be fobbed. <laughs> fobbed off. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. So if you are in business, in any kind of business, and a lot of people say, you know what, I'm in B2B business. No, if you are in B2B business, there are so few players out there that know what to do, that you have a tremendous opportunity. You need to hop on that wagon right now. And you need to do thought leadership. You need to explain, you need to talk, you need to try several platforms. Not all of them are gonna work for you. Not all of them are equal, but after half a year, you'll be able to judge. If you never get on that wagon in three years from now, uh, your business and life will be very, very difficult. So one of the things that's uh, quite uh, daunting about you, Ashley, is that you are not only influential, have a large followership, you kind of cover the bases. So writing a book and getting published is, is one whole kind of thing and shtick. Then you've, you've got the vlogging, so with your good looks, getting a video, <laughs> video and good energy, getting the video version. Then you are obviously present on all sorts of text-based messaging uh, platforms. You've got your LinkedIn going on, on uh, steroids. So you actually cover an enormous base. So for someone from the outside, that seems like a lot. So tell us what is your trick? Do you have lots of little dwarfs running around doing stuff for you? Or <laughs> how, do you how do you manage such a wonderfully broad and powerful network uh, across the, the waves? Right. Well, first, let's establish thought leadership is a full-time job. It is a full-time job, and it is a job that nobody can do for you. So if you are a head of the business or you are a sole entrepreneur and you think that you're going to hire, uh, you know, um, uh, an intern from the from the university, and that intern is suddenly going to do something that's going to get you uh, popular and successful, no, that's not going to happen. It is. It's called thought leadership because it's your thoughts shared in your voice with the rest of the world. And because of the nature of modern world and the abundance of platforms and formats, you need to be the one delivering it and it takes up a lot of time. So um, I think firstly, you need to have this mental commitment that yes, I understand this is important, I'm gonna do it. Then you need to give yourself half a year to I think 50, 60% of your time shall be uh, shall be focused on that to basically immense yourself into this thought leadership. And then after the first half a year, when you already understand how do these platforms work, what works for you, for your message, uh, where is your voice, because we keep talking about your voice, the storytelling, you cannot have a voice if you don't exercise it. You need to practice it. You need to really go out there and speak and see how do you feel, not how others react to that superficial message, but how do you feel sharing it? So it is a process. It's not a one-time thing. You don't wake up with a voice. Um, so, and and all of that needs to come into place. So half a year later, you will have a much better understanding who you are, what are your platforms, who is your audience. And then you will be able to plan and say, you know what, I'm not going to do thought leadership on these platforms. I'm going to focus on these two or three channels. And then you put together a very clear plan. And uh, most of the things that you are going to be producing um, are actually, they, they become easier over time. 
because you're already in that habit, because you're confident with your message, because you meet amazing people. And the more popular you become, the more amazing people come to you. I mean, it's just it, it, it just somehow works in sync with the universe and you are getting uh, all these resources that you need. And at the same time, there will be an opportunity to outsource some of the low maintenance uh, thought leadership so for instance for me my LinkedIn blew up uh, about a year and a half ago when I started publishing China reports and people just went crazy about these reports they all wanted it and I think my highest price I'm talking about organic price I haven't put a single dollar behind it um, it was 480,000 views and it was one of my first reports. And please mind, these are not my reports. I don't produce those reports. It was a report that I found online that I felt was interesting. I took the major highlights. I basically gave my commentary on it and I published it there and I said, hey guys, here's a couple of screenshots. It was a free report found online. Um, so that was a big thing for me. Then I was like, oh my God, that's what people want. And I spent hours on end looking for the reports and also writing this digest. Right now, for example, this part of my thought leadership, I with, with, with a joyful heart, I outsource it to my team. They find me reports. They give me suggested uh, takeaways. Then I look at the report, I look at it, I say, yes, this is perfect. Or here we need to rewrite. This is my take on it. And then we publish. So uh, after a while, still the majority of thought leadership you will be able, you will be doing yourself, but you have significantly fewer platforms. You are much better and faster at it. Uh, at the same time, some part of it you can outsource to your team, and then it works. Beautiful. Wow. So um, I want to get into your influencer world in a second, but one of the things that constantly strikes me about this world online is the interplay between personal and professional. Yeah. Tell me what is your spin before I even give you any filter on that thought. Absolutely. So every person who is going into thought leadership or blogging or in becoming an influencer or even becoming a celebrity, whenever you basically share your thoughts with a broader network of people in whichever format, uh, you will have to make your personal decision whether you are comfortable to share beyond that or you're only comfortable to share a part of yourself. And from my experience, right now in 2019, people do not want to see influencers behind the glass wall that they cannot touch, that they cannot relate, that they cannot understand. They want to see real people that became successful. In you, they want to see the story of success, something that they connect with. You are a hero that got somewhere where they can get because you're just a normal human being, flesh and blood, just like them. And they want, and they connect not only with your message, but they connect with you as a person uh, through that. And that is why we see right now in the past two years, a huge comeback of all these huge celebrities, one being Will Smith. For years he was off social media and right now he's got one of the biggest uh, Instagram followships ever because he said, you know, for years I thought I cannot be on social media because I need to be distant, this, you know, active figure that everybody wanted to create this anticipation 
right? But right now, the world is different and people expect different things from you. So he literally records videos, he talks about, you know, his morning, he goes on the quest there, and people are watching. They finally connect not only with Will Smith as an actor, but Will Smith as a person. And this is very powerful right now. So uh, I know people that are doing uh, thought leadership, and I'm talking about primarily uh, professional thought leadership, authors and, and LinkedIn influencers, etc., that keep it strictly disconnected from their personal life. And usually these are people that, uh, that, that somehow feel that they are not comfortable sharing. They're maybe not so outgoing in everyday life. And I also know a lot of people that are very uh, open about their personal life. They share pictures of their kids. They talk about what happened with their wife, where they go on holidays, etc., etc. And there are majority of people are somewhere in between. You know, they, they just mix and match as it as it comes. Sometimes you feel that you want to share, you know, the picture from this beautiful island of you and your husband. And sometimes you feel that you know what this particular part, like a lot of Instagram influencers, um, they keep. For example, they, uh, they are pregnant, the whole pregnancy private, so nobody knows they are pregnant, and then suddenly one day they're like, oh, and here's my kid, meet, yeah, meet them. So uh, I think it is, uh, it is uh, for everybody to decide, but uh, I personally found it important to uh, involve people in your life as it is, not just a part of it, um, and not just a professional part of it, but to what degree everybody needs to uh, decide for themselves. So, you being an attractive uh, young woman, uh, with a, the images, obviously, there's an element of easiness in it. Give us an example of, of, a, of a situation where you didn't feel like you were presenting your best self, but you presented it anyway. You know, like your hair might have been out of place, some, the, the makeup wasn't, or you don't need it, but you know, whatever. Something wasn't right, but then you said, well, actually that th this needs to go out even though I don't look great. Talk us through how you manage where that cutoff point is where you say, nah, -uh, gotta edit, go back, or what the hell, let's go. Right, so my, uh, I think my um, journey as an influencer made me, um, made me realize that it needs to be, let's do it, let's do it right now. I don't edit my videos. I don't edit anything, I just put it out. Uh, I mean, on my Instagram, I put a, a colorful filter, just saturation, I want it to be brighter, just because I like bright colors. Uh, so that's the only thing I do, I make my pictures a bit brighter, but rather than that, nothing. I don't wear makeup in everyday life, and I, I don't wear it for any shootings, etc. so that doesn't make sense. So to tell you the, the a little bit of the story there, when I just started, um, uh, let's say video logging because it's very difficult for most people people usually don't like their voice on camera people don't like how they look on camera yeah. and when i started vlogging um i was yeah i read the book which which said stand uh which was called standing out or stand out by dory clark who is a friend right now and um i read that book and i felt that okay i really need to stand out i really need to do that thought leadership so i committed i made a public commitment on my facebook i recorded the video and i said hey guys this is the book that i read that's what i want to do now and uh, yeah i'm going to be publishing videos five times a week and i and this was a mistake i invited people to give me comments so 
you know, please, please, if you're hearing me right now and you're not yet recording videos, never repeat that mistake. Because suddenly I gave people a social permission to criticize what I was doing. And then every video that came in after that, it was like, oh, Ashley, I think you speak too fast. And I guess you guys can appreciate that I do speak too fast. And Minta, you know that I, when I go, I go. And this is a part of me. I understand that some people feel that this is overwhelming, but I cannot tune myself up. If I do, that's not me. And then some people said, especially ladies, they started commenting on, oh, Ashley, I think if you're really recording, like maybe you need to put some makeup on because, you know, it looks really like weird. I never heard a comment like that from a man. Maybe they were, maybe they just didn't want to talk about it. But, you know, women were a bit more skeptical there. And some of them said, oh, maybe the hair, you need to do something with the hair. And I was like, what's going on? So slowly and gradually, I just shut it off. I said, you know what? Uh, yeah. So I didn't invite any more comments and slowly it waited out. Um, I returned, I tried things, I tried to listen to them, but at the end I went back to where, where I started with my style and that worked because you are your authentic self. Uh, you need to listen to criticism when it is um, uh, when it is from the people you respect and people that are better than you in a specific, again, area or you, again, respect them immensely and they give you a tip for sure, take it in, think on it and act on it. But from a general public, never repeat that mistake. Don't do that. Um, and in terms of the, an example of where, you know, where I thought that, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't great, but it had a great effect. I mean, I record videos all the time and sometimes I rewatch them and I say, Oh, Ashley, I mean, seriously, <laughs> I think that this is three out of 10, the things that I'm talking about or the way it's not about the looks. It's really about what I'm talking about. And, and sometimes, yeah, sometimes I sit there with, with my messed up hair on a Sunday afternoon and I'm recording for a professional platform, which is LinkedIn. Um, but I go back and I see that there were 10,000, 20,000 people that found it phenomenal and they love it and they watched it till the end because on LinkedIn you can see that, you know, pe people basically go through it and then they send private messages and this is beautiful. So um, I, I also shared some stories where I thought um, th they did not portray me in, in the very uh, I mean, very kind light, for instance, uh, I was in Singapore uh, last year, or it was maybe, yeah, last year, let's say, and then I was very annoyed uh, at the reception because they messed up my uh, re reservation, and I was uh, I was there for Professional Speakers Association, and uh, they lost my thing, and they couldn't get me a room, and I was like super annoyed there, and suddenly, finally, they get me a room, long story short, uh, suddenly this guy who is walking me to my room and he is Malaysian, uh, Malay. And he says, are you Ashley? And I was like, oh, he must have heard my, my name from the receptionist. And he says, do I enough? And I say, yes. And now I'm getting worried because my last name is really not easy to pronounce. And he says, oh, I, I follow you online, like on Instagram. And, and he says, yeah, I love the China blah, blah, blah thing. And I'm planning to open a business when I go back to Malaysia. And then I gifted him a book and we connected. And then I thought to myself that, you know what, as influencers, as people that have followers that we don't personally know, we have an extra responsibility to hold ourselves up to a higher standard. And you cannot get, you know, you cannot get 
like upset because they because something is not there because again people look up at you for 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 many more things than just the content that you share so i shared that story and it was extremely successful people loved it and people connected with it and uh, yeah that was that was cool greetings from evergreen podcasts we're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you the information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Makes me think that if you get worried about, let's say you're three out of 10, I'm sure it's more like uh, 0.5 out of 10 bad or you know, less perfect examples, you wouldn't have one quarter of the production that you do because if you get worried about let's see these three out of ten then that's going to say well that one too and the next thing you know you got seven and then the time it takes to make anything good it's sort of corrupting all your time and your energy absolutely and perfect does not exist perfect is not a realistic standard the realistic standard is outstanding so everybody's here and you just want to be outstanding. That's a realistic standard. Um, so, uh, and you can be outstanding, Not you cannot be outstanding on every front. You need to be outstanding with something. Is it the message? Is it is it your energy? Is it whatever, whatever you are doing there? So be outstanding in one area and that will be absolutely um, sufficient and this will create a lot of value for people out there and don't edit yourself when i heard that phrase for the first time i thought this was kind of stupid because in in online world we all need to be whatever we want to portray but do not edit yourself this will again you will connect with more people more and more you will you will uh, it will be much easier to produce the content um, uh, and also it will be a lot more authentic from what you are actually saying you will not sound like a thousand other people. You will sound like yourself. So editing yourself, and I mean it, uh, the message that you want to share, uh, doesn't mean you don't need to fine tune it. I mean, editing it, saying something and saying, oh, maybe this I cannot put online, uh, unless it's something completely off. Uh, but um, uh, editing videos, uh, changing pictures, uh, putting on a lot of makeup or some special outfit. If you really don't look like this in everyday life, then don't do that. Right, so don't edit yourself. Uh, be who you are, and uh, find uh, a new standard which is outstanding for one part of your thought leadership, and that would be phenomenal. Well, it reminds me that I need to say a big shout out to uh, our mutual friend Dory um, with her book Stand Out, and um, the Stand Out by Being Outstanding. Um, love that. So let's talk about quickly your life as an influencer when brands approach you and say hey Ashley you know I've got this great brand of fashion this or you know pen this or whatever hey can you promote it for me talk us through what is the let's say the top tip not to do as a brand and the top tip to do in order to get you Ashley signed up 
Well, I don't really work with brands who pay me because I do not, and I've got people that want to give me gifts, for example, shoes, they want to give me some stuff that I sometimes, that I'm sometimes okay with, but I make it very, very clear that I don't have any obligation to share that stuff and etc. Why? Because again, I'm doing professional B2B thought leadership and uh, I do not want to, um, I mean, I don't need that stuff. It's not my job. For many bloggers out there, that's their job. They want to become popular in order to get the free stuff or in order to promote uh, brands, etc., etc. So for me, that's not the case. I will speak about something that I really like and I don't need money for that. I don't need compensation for that. What I need is um, I need... Um, additional insights. So if somebody wants to get me really interested, like Tencent, for instance, or Alibaba or somebody, they invite me and say, you know what, here you can meet Jack Ma. That I'm interested in. I cannot get access to Jack Ma. I cannot call him up and say, Jack, let's meet for coffee. But um, I know that information that I get, this insight that I get, uh, will be very meaningful to my audience. So if somebody wants uh, to basically borrow some of the influence that I have, they need to give me something my audience needs and something where I cannot get access to what I can't get access to. So for example, right now I was invited to Khan's Lions, Khan Lions and uh, there were a couple of really interesting sessions and met also a couple of very interesting people that I couldn't have just you know called up and met. And this was valuable. But uh, promoting products for B2B, I think it's much more difficult, again, because that's not your thing, because you uh, do not want to uh, basically just become, just become a blogger that puts something on and says, okay, purchase link in the first comment below, that doesn't work for my intelligent audience. Right, right, super. Um, last, so what I want to get into last is this notion of China. And so uh, it's a crazy world, uh, far in advance in so many aspects to us. So whether it's uh, Tencent or Alibaba or, or the retail space, how, how would you describe the key elements of the Chinese market for, especially in this case because of my audience, for foreign brands who are wanting to go in? Uh, what kind of attitude, what, what are the key lessons that you would or key advice you would give to them as they say listen I've really got to tap into the Chinese market what do I need to do right so the first thing you need to realize and I think most of the people are already on the same page there that uh, China is very unique is very powerful and you need to innovate for China so that's a little bit where most of the brands are still struggling. They know it is unique, they know it is powerful, they know that 40 to 60% of their global business is coming from China, but they are still in denial when it comes to innovation for China. They invent products in the West, they invent marketing campaigns in the West, they invent strategies and budgets in the West, and then they try to uh, bring it to China and activate it in China and this very very soon is going to be more, basically getting more and more difficult so if you want to be successful in China long term starting in 2019 um, and that's what a lot of brands already started doing they open innovation centers, digital labs, they open product um, uh, research facilities 
in mainland China and they make it for China. And then, very important, not just for China, then they take it and spread it across Asia, Southeast Asia, and uh, later on it will be also Middle East, Eastern Africa. And essentially, through that, mm, you know, we are opening a new route of basically product development and marketing and strategy. A new, and a new Silk route, Road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's exactly the new Silk Road. That road is going to impact in about 10, 15 years from now, uh, 70 to 80% of population globally that live in Southeast Asia, China, uh, Middle East and Africa. So a lot of companies start realizing that right now that we cannot produce in the old world uh, as such and then bring it to China and to the new world in terms of 2019, this is the old and new world. Um, and uh, the faster you hop on that wagon, the better. So if I just zero in then on the elements of social, because it is such a an advanced, huge and different environment, uh, how do you, w- with your with your work with Alaris, presumably in large part, how do you guide uh, through and, and create some kind of noise or you know event online, uh, you know? Do you have to be on Cine Weibo and WeChat? Uh, and and right. maybe give us a little bit of the feeling of why it's different and how it's different. Right. So in China, there are more than 60 social media platforms that are completely unique to, to the Chinese market. And what social media is in the West is not what it is in China. In China, it's much more than that. So you essentially search your news, not on Google, but on social media. You complete your purchases, not on Amazon, but on social media. You watch your favorite TV shows, not on Netflix, but on social media. You want to participate in a campaign, though in the West it's more difficult, but essentially you want to win a car, you want to win a new iPhone, you go on social media, and there are platforms that allow you to do that. This is what social media is. It's community, it is communication, yes, but at the same time, it's so much more than that in China. And there are 60 unique platforms. Many of them are very niche for mothers of newborn babies, for hardcore gamers, etc. And in the West, we don't have that. We have major big platforms and everybody within that platform is trying to find their own little island where they sit with a flag that, okay, I'm, I'm catering to new mothers. So... The whole platform, the whole ecosystem is different. It's actually what I like to call it, it's a parallel universe. It is truly a parallel universe. And right now with tensions between China and US, this polarization of the two systems is getting stronger and stronger. And what we're gonna see in the coming years again is that these parallel universes as of the Western internet ecosystem and the Chinese internet ecosystem are going to go completely different direction. And I believe from, again, having experience in both markets and living and breathing China on the, on a daily basis, China is right now in 2019 much better positioned to win. It's not even winning the battle, but essentially developing to something completely, uh, co- like completely futuristic, completely out of one of these uh, uh, movies, Ready Player One, etc. Uh, so in terms of uh, Western brands getting into China, you need to be on these platforms, not just because rah, 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 you get 
you know, views and likes and, you know, that's what we are hunting for in the West. Because essentially it's, exactly, uh, in the West we we, we feel that it's good to have social media and yes, a lot of people are on there, but essentially it doesn't really have an ROI. And what we are hunting for as Western marketers is an email address or a phone number. Because we know once we captured that, we can spam our prospect nonstop. We can send them messages. We can send them emails. Um, but in China, that doesn't work. People are not using emails. You cannot send them emails. You cannot send them. Um, you cannot call them or send them texts because they are going to report you. In China, if you call somebody up, this and the person needs to pick up the phone. That's embarrassing. You're losing your face. Imagine this. You're sitting in the office. You pick up the phone. In the West, that's completely normal. You go and you talk. But in China, everybody's going to hear what you're talking about. That's embarrassing. Losing your face. So they prefer to text even when they sit next to each other. It's a different culture. It's not bad. Uh, It's not good. It's just different. And hence, what you are hunting for as a marketer in China is essentially their social media account. And hence, your CRM is not based on emails. And that's what a lot of Western brands also need to understand. They keep coming to China and hunting for email. Your CRM is based on social media accounts. And it is not just based on it. It's not that you take somebody's WeChat ID or Douyin ID and then plug it into your Salesforce system. That's not going to bring you anything. You need to build your whole CRM on this platform, link it with this platform and make it work. Make it bring uh, not only excitement and joy and better content and better offers to your audience, but also uh, create business results. So um, in that respect, China is, again, extremely different. And as a foreign brand, you need to understand that you need to act on it. You need to build on it. Uh, You need to be on platforms that are purely social, for example, like Weibo, like Douyin, and you need to be on the platforms that are heavily, let's say, sales-driven uh, as well, like Xiaohongshu right now is turning into that. Uh, WeChat has WeChat mini programs and shops, etc. Um, and you need to build your own China ecosystem. So essentially, in this parallel universe, that's what you need to do. Well, build it, your uh, own ecosystem. Yeah, it, you're you're very compelling in, in the way you present that. Clearly, you need to innovate within for China, and you need to have a specific type of strategy. The thing that I've always found interesting, I mean, outside of the innovation within WeChat that I've seen, is the fact that it is linked more to the credit card than it is to the email. So you get onto Facebook through your email, and and that's how you sign in, if you will. But whereas the, the big link here on the in, in China is the link between the social media platform and your credit card. And and I think that that ecosystem is is so much more powerful and you and if you want to gain ROI it's so much more obvious absolutely and it's not just credit card in China very few people are using credit cards but it is your basically right. digital wallet yeah. and it is your real ID that's where China is again ahead of the world and yes I know that for many uh, outside of China that sounds like violation of privacy and and if tomorrow for example Facebook would announce that guys right now every Facebook account needs to be 
verified through your passport or through your whatever driver's license and you need to link you must link your bank account to facebook i think people would uh, start running and screaming and basically setting For facebook sure. on fire <laughs> i mean this is not gonna happen and and mark understands it very well that is why he right now also tries to move and build that uh, that ecosystem between the uh, Messenger, Facebook, WhatsApp into something much closer to WeChat. But uh, in this day and age, it's not possible in the West. But it is very possible in China. They started this migration. They, uh, you know, they they uh, they invited their people to verify their uh, real identity throughout all social media platforms, or most of them, um, for a reason because they saw far beyond where we were in the West. China plays a long game. They knew that once you go social, uh, first of all, there are services that you can provide, you can sell, and you can also keep order. You can keep this online order. There's a lot less bullying, cyber bullying in China in that respect. Because, I mean, I'm sorry if you say something, we know exactly who you are. And you can report if you are attacking you can report, yes. If, if you are harassing me online, then it's very easy to report. And we cannot do that with trolls. And I do understand that, again, there is uh, there's beauty in having it confidential and having it sort of anonymous, not confidential, anonymous. But there's also beauty in having it transparent. And again, it's not good, it's not bad, it's just different. In China, when you submit and when you give all this data and all these permissions to uh, essentially platform owners you're not being spammed like Facebook if I give Facebook a little uh, glimpse of what my life looks like they keep spamming me and sending me unsolicited messages advertising etc but in China you get better service right now on WeChat for instance you can file for divorce I mean it's a service that the government is providing and hopefully women with... can provide can claim for divorce Absolutely. unlike Saudi Arabia uh, hopefully soon um, and at the same time you can board your flight with your social media ID you can board your flight you don't need to print and all this is integrated in that social fabric and in 2020 when China is introducing this much feared social ranking 2020 it's going to go to the whole new level right now when you jaywalk in China and I know that we are overrunning but when you jaywalk in China um, you know, there's cameras that are capturing the act. They put your video doing that on the screen on the other side of the road. They put your face, cropped face, and they disclose a part of your ID and home address. And this in the rest of the world sounds like a horror story. But in China, it's about losing your face. It's about losing your face. It's a shameful act, right? And, and you're not going to be doing that. In the West, we might be running back and forth just to see our face on the appear on the huge screen. So uh, China is really moving into a very digital uh, you know, age, a very digital um, universe, uh, which is going to be powered by 5G. And uh, I believe that's the major reason why uh, right now we have tensions uh, with Huawei, etc. Because uh, somebody is going to be winning that journey. And right now, China... Uh, or that 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 gold mine and China right now is much more pos better positioned to win in the 5G race than uh, than other global powers. Well, it strikes me as not in this case, it's not about losing your face, but showing your face, and that's the problem. Um, I, I, 
I also was thinking about how you were talking about Zuckerberg. It it seems so ironic, and then but so much Ashley, that uh, a guy called Sergey uh, started a little search company in <laughs> in California, and a Chinese speaking Mark started a little social media uh, platform, and somehow you are the combination of all of that. Last part, just last question quickly, because you got your book on on uh, the the new retail world in China. Give us give us the the elevator pitch. What your what your book describes, and then uh, you're going to tell us how to get it. Absolutely. So the book is talking about the new retail, and in the rest of the world, we still don't understand what's it all about. Many people have never even heard about the new retail. In reality, it is um, it is a merger of online and offline. Uh, it is a lot of technology involved. Uh, it is a lot of facial recognition. It is a lot of micro emotion tracking. It is a lot of um, also robots and other things installed in stores, all working together in order to increase efficiency of your offline spaces. So it's it's not just a gimmicky word. It's not just omni-channel, let's sell online and offline. It's really about number one, building a very clear understanding of your consumer where all this data about where you are, where who you are, where you go, how much money you're getting, what kind of social network do you have, da 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 da. All this data is flowing around you, and different retailers within an ecosystem can plug into this data. Not not know that this is Ashley or this is Minta, but they know what your preferences are, and they are read, able to provide you better uh, service right there, right now, in that moment. At the same time. Um, number two, you are getting much quality data about the person in the offline environment. So new retail essentially is tracking everything in the offline space. So in China, there is a supermarket called Huma or Fresh Hippo uh, by Alibaba. When you walk into that supermarket, again, they're tracking where you go. There are mini robots uh, running down the aisles. You can pick up a peach scan a QR code and they're going to tell you exactly where this particular peach uh, came from. Uh, they have blockchain technology to track it down to the source. Uh, they are going to tell you how to cook uh, fish. If you're buying a lobster, they're going to give you a tutorial right there how to cook it. Um, once you come home and you bought all these groceries, you come home, you open your computer, you have a full list of your groceries. So next time you can buy exactly that, you can copy that list and they will deliver it to you within 30 minutes. I mean, this sounds like the future, but this is happening in China right now in 2019. And this is just one example of the new retail. Department stores are changing, hair salons are changing, hospitals are changing. In the hospital, in for example, um, an experimental hospital in Guangzhou, right now in 2019, you cannot get appointment without scanning your illness with a phone first. So for example, you have a rash, you apply to come to hospital, you take a picture or a video of what's wrong with you, and then AI algorithm is going to give you um, uh, an assessment and they're going to tell, okay, you need to go to skin department or you go to, uh, you need to go to whatever uh, infection department. And they're going to give you an appointment and just before your, your uh, basically you arrive there a bit earlier, uh, the doctor is already waiting for you. And once the doctor is taking all this, speaking with you, AI is recording everything, and just before the doctor gives you diagnosis, AI proposes its diagnosis, and then the doctor takes it or uh, changes it, overrides it. When you go down, uh, your med medicine is already prepared for you, robots, 
distribute your medicine and pack it into a box. You just leave without paying, without anything, because it's all in your unified account. It is all within your basic system. This is China 2019. So new retail is not just about retail. New retail is a lot uh, about a lot more. It's about technology. It's about merging online and offline spaces. And as a retailer, it helps you to make more money to dilute the cost of offline shop. It's not just a shop. It becomes a lot more than just a shop and you are essentially increasing your ROI. And this model, yes, the elements of new retail are not unique to China. They were born somewhere outside of the country. But the way they put it together and the way they grow it on steroids, it's uniquely Chinese. And they actually coined the term uh, Jack Ma coined the term in 2016, the new retail. So right now, the, the book is basically about new retail being born in China and going global because this technology is going to spread in Southeast Asia, in Africa, where China has a lot of influence, and the Middle East. And essentially, as I mentioned, this is going to be 70 to 80% of global population in the next uh, 15, 20 years. So retailers and people in business, marketers, need to take note, need to understand what's going on. Because we have so little understanding of the China market, it can be challenging and we can also jump to conclusions and jump into the uh, conspiracy theories of how the state might use this data. But we live in the reality, we live in 2019 where data is the most important um, commodity and whether we like it or not, every government to some extent and usually to a large extent that we want collect the data at least in china you are getting um, you are getting something out of it you're getting service out of it you're getting convenience you're getting prosperity out of it and once we the rest of the world hop and fully commit to this journey we will be able to steer it into one or the other direction right now very often it feels that um, the, the global community somehow thinks that if they will ignore it, it will just go away. It will not go away. You need to be part of the game in order to influence it and and um, and um, plan the course. So I invite everybody to basically be um, uh, part of that game. And in terms of where to get the book, it's a, it's going to be on Amazon, um, and you can find it by my name, Ashley Galina Dudarina. There are three books in total, or uh, the new retail born in China going global. Beautiful. Um, Ashley, it, it makes me think that, you know, the, the notion of uh, the suspicion and the conspiracy theories that we have in the West, we already have them with regard to Google and Facebook, and, and there's a whole lot of mystery and intrigue that's going behind, yet we, we don't really know if it's actually worse or not. Whereas in China, they kind of tell you what it's up. We are yeah. tracking you. You are covered, yeah. and 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 in response or in benefit, we we have a transparent return, and so it's a very different yeah. game. And and as you say, it's not worse actually, and and and, and there's a whole argument that could go for it. It it could be better because at least you know what you're up against. Whereas yeah. there's a sort of whole hidden Machiavellian story behind the the West. Hmm. Ashley, way too much uh, stuff. We could go on for uh, just a ton more. Uh, beautiful. But tell us, uh, what's the best way to, to follow what you're up to? What's your preferred way to connect? I mean, you have so many. 
Um, I would absolutely love to connect on LinkedIn. That's where I spend most of my time and I absolutely love this platform. So it's LinkedIn also uh, by my name is Ashley Galina Dudarinok. I would love to connect there. And if you would like to follow me as a person, then I'm also on Instagram uh, at uh, Ashley Lina. And uh, yeah, my email is ashley at chosan.co as well. If somebody wants to drop me a line. That old-fashioned. Social media platform. Yeah, I'm still I'm still on it just because the boring business community prefers to communicate that way. Uh, but essentially, connect on LinkedIn. That would be phenomenal. I'll put everything in the show notes, Ashley. Спасибо большое. Thank you so much, Mint. It was a pleasure. You are such a sunshine, and you are a phenomenal interviewer, leading the story and making it all so much uh, better. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes and other blog posts on MinterDial.com. If you enjoyed the show, please head over to iTunes to give a rating and review. And to finish, here's a song I wrote with Stephanie Singer, A Convinced Man.
The world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert Warren Buffett once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.